Hey everyone, it's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of Imperfect, where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, Jason Manna and I go deeper into our conversations about masculinity, the importance of religion, and specifically the father's blessing and telling young men when they've become a man. We talk about hopelessness, the impact of fatherless homes, Jason's relationship with his father, his personal journey of forgiveness and self-discovery. And at the end, Jason actually does a father's blessing live for us. And so if you want to experience that, which I think all young men should, uh, gave me shivers. I think it will give you shivers, but I'm super excited about this episode. And I thank Jason so much for being here, but we're going to get into the episode now. So Jason, excited for you to be here. As you know, my first question, if you were to have anyone over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? And what would you cook for them? So I'm going to cheat because I have two and all day I've been trying to think, how do I narrow this down? And I couldn't. So you get two. one would be Henry Cavill because I am a huge Superman fan, like huge, like even the background of my phone is Superman, like love Superman. And of all the Superman movies, he, in my opinion, he's the only one that actually did it justice. And so I would be hitting him up to see if I could wear the suit. (laughs) Let's be honest, that would be awesome to put on Instagram. And the other one would be Ryan Reynolds. And the reason I would pick him is because I've been following what he's been doing with Aviation Gin, at least in the marketing side. And from a marketing standpoint, he is like breaking all the stinking rules and rocking at it. And so I would love to just sit down with him and be like, dude, teach me marketing. I know I'm a marketing guy, but teach me marketing because you are blowing it away. So yeah, so those would be the two that I would love to have over for dinner. And I am a steak and potatoes kind of guy or a meat and potatoes. So it would be steak and potatoes and hopefully some free gin. Yeah. <laughs> well, who doesn't love some free gin? And man, Ryan Reynolds, I am a huge fan of him myself. Like I, he's one of the people I've had on uh, my list for like dream guests since I started this thing, just because of, you know, him and Blake Lively. I think they're an amazing couple, especially in Hollywood. He's Canadian. Deadpool, you know, I love the movie The Proposal. It's one of my favorite movies. I think I've watched it like 11 times. It's my favorite rom-com. I'm I'm not a, uh, like ashamed to say I've been a rom-com guy if Ryan Reynolds is in it. But Me yeah, too. <laughs> dude, I have not, I will say I haven't been a, a Superman fan. I'm not really a, a superhero fan in general, other than The Dark Knights. Like those are like to my typically my favorite movies. I'm not much of a Marvel Universe guy either. It's like I don't lead DC or Marvel, but um, I'm really curious. What would you talk about with them? And kind of why I know you kind of talked about wearing the suits and with Ryan Reynolds, you talked about marketing, but uh, you know, what, what other things would you want to talk to them about? I think some of it really for both of them, they, they're probably of the celebrities that we see in Hollywood. They're probably some of the most grounded in way of like, you don't really see them in the news, like having breakdowns, cheating on like Ryan's not cheating on his wife. You don't see that stuff. I actually follow Henry on Instagram. And a lot of times he does posts that talk about some mental health and talk about really what it means to be a man and to be solid in his career and what he's doing. And so just really two respectable guys that have also been successful, but haven't let that success like really ruin their character. And so I'd really just like to, obviously the the Superman suit and the the marketing side for Aviation Gym, but also just hearing from them, like, how did they 
I know that even though they're successful and they haven't like ruined their character, there definitely had to have been times where that temptation or that opportunity to do something out of character, to do something that would have ruined them has had to have popped up because that's just that industry. And so they weathered it well and were able to obviously stick to who they wanted to be. And so that would be something that I definitely would want to talk about. No. Yeah. I think those are really good things. And that kind of talks back or loops back to some of the things we had discussed previously in terms of, you know, and so much of society right now, there's this desire to seek approval to kind of this, this lack of hopelessness. And you have framed it really well. And I was just on a call with a potential guest earlier. We were talking about the same thing with Steph Curry, with LeBron James. Like these guys are, seem to be model men. They still get attacked, you know, for their celebrity, for their play, for whatever. But when you break it down, these guys are pretty much model citizens in the way of, of what is expected to be a man beyond what they actually do or the, or the the craft with which they perform or interact with and and they go beyond their sport they do more than just shut up and dribble and it's kind of the same with Ryan Reynolds and Henry in, the, in those cases is they go beyond what is expected of them but they're still authentic humans and they feel very grounded they feel like someone we can connect with and i'm interested in how do you think that is portrayed or or received from, you know, clearly you and I receive it really well, but what about other young men? How come, how come you think that's so important? I think it's important because there isn't a lot of that modeled, especially when it comes to professional athletes, when it comes to really these, these kind of rock star celebrities that a lot of young people look up to, even not even just celebrities in that regards, but you look at people like Logan Paul and Jake Paul, who are internet, like social media stars and some of the stuff that they've done that have been so just society just kind of crapped on them because of some of the stuff they did. And that was just not, not seen as what a man should be. And I think like that, that seems right now to be the trend that to be a man means you do what you want. You don't care about anyone else. Like you it's all about feeding your ego, feeding you be successful. You have to be the most popular. You have to be the most known. And it's all about amassing wealth, you know, buying all the toys that you want and getting the fancy car. And and really it's none of that stuff is necessarily bad, but you also need to be tempering it with like, who are you becoming? What kind of character are you and how are you helping others? And I don't think like we see that a lot. Like, you have the few instances where you see it and people are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. But then we go right back to watching things like the Kardashians and whatever, that it's all about drama. It's all about me, 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 me. And, and that's where kind of society has gone. And so I think that's why people like Ryan, people like um, LeBron and, and Steph Curry, like I think that's why they're so important is to see someone who does have it all, like who really, I mean, any one of them could go and afford cocaine and hookers and blow. Like They really could, you know, but they're not doing that because they're, sh and really what's happening is they're showing a different way of being successful and using that to help others. And so I think it's really interesting that you talked about Logan and Jake Paul there. And I definitely think we will see a shift in terms of, we're already kind of seeing it, but you know, in the young men that are growing, that are growing up, their mentors are Logan Paul. And, you know, I've, I don't know if you're familiar with Nelk. They're like a they're like a crew of guys. They're actually from Canada, from from the Toronto area, and they kind of hide under this guise of pranksters. But that just means that they're 
assholes in public to me. Like that's whenever I see like a YouTube prank person or a YouTube prank channel, all I think is you guys are just assholes that get away with it because you have a YouTube channel. And it's almost the same with Logan and Jake that that negative publicity, like they always say, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But I'm like, this is going to be really dangerous to young people because the parents aren't really controlling because, you know, so much of our our digital consumption is is individual. We don't we don't watch in front of our parents. It used to be you are around a TV, you watch it together. But now there's a lot less control over what we watch. And I would say that Jake and Logan do have a huge influence on the generation that's coming up. And that's a lot of YouTubers as a whole. And I'm not really sure if that's a positive thing. You know, when I was, I always find it interesting because I was kind of in the age where we still had phones as a young person, but our parents were, were deep distrusting towards it. So we weren't allowed to have it in our rooms, like until we were kind of more adults anyways. But the people younger than me, it's completely different. And I feel like that, especially with young men, is blurring the lines of what it means to be a man and kind of who, and you can always make the case that, you know, role models in, in Hollywood haven't always been good for, you know, since the beginning of time. But I do think it is interesting, the dichotomy between YouTube stars and celebrity stars and how that's changing. We're seeing Hollywood stars become a lot more responsible, but YouTube stars a lot more irresponsible. Yeah, I would agree. And I think a lot of it too, like you were saying, you know, for me, I grew up when we didn't have smartphones. Like, my first cell phone wasn't until I got to college and it was a brick like, and it was like $50 to make a phone call. So it was emergencies only. And by the time I graduated, I had one of those awesome Motorola flip phones, you know, that like, uh, you know, super a cool razor? back then. Yeah. <laughs> I love that thing. I still have it from college and it still works. So it's more durable than an iPhone, but there is a lot of truth to that in that, like, you know, I grew up in this generation where the internet was introduced to us at a young age, but we were still very skeptical of it. And you were very cautious around it because of all the stories of like, well, some strangers is going to, going to find you and kidnap you and all this stuff, because that kind of stuff had started to happen. And, but now it, it really is. And like in the case of Jake and Logan, there isn't a lot of parental control, even for them, because they're the money makers. They make more than their parents, you know, and their parents are, are living off of it. And it's amazing to me. I I don't really know how old they are. I know they're like, I know Logan's like mid twenties, but he acts like a 12 year old. And so it's giving this idea that to be a man is not to grow up and not to take responsibility. And like when the whole thing happens in the Japanese park there where he filmed someone who had committed suicide, like I watched a lot of his like apologies and stuff. And in all of it, it was like, this feels very scripted and not genuine. And it was like, this is, this is what we're, we're training young men to be is just do it, apologize and move on and still do what you're doing and don't change. And that's, that's dangerous. And why do you think that is like, I know in, in our kind of previous phone call, you talked a lot about the tradition of man and, you know, helping young men find that key moment in time when they are labeled a man, like, like kind of what's your, what's your framework on that? What's your background on that? And kind of go deeper into, to how you think, you know, someone like Logan can act or know that they're a man at a younger age. They never end up in this place in the first place. A lot of this goes back to really to the Jewish faith, where when you look at what is the old Testament in the Christian Bible, which is also the Jewish scriptures, what you find is that 
for centuries, the Jewish people participated in what was called a father blessing. And basically what this was, was around the age of 13 or 14, what a father would do is when he had, when he had sons, when they hit that age, he would bring them in and he would kind of bestow a blessing on them. And this was, this did two things. One, it was kind of this generational, like, okay, you're the oldest son. So I'm going to tell you that you're going to get double the inheritance and all this stuff. So it was, it, part of it was a little bit of a legal thing, but really what it was doing was bestowing on your son that you are a man. Because I don't know any man, any guy who, who's alive, who hasn't struggled with that idea of, am I a man? Because we don't really, in our society today, we don't really have this, this concept of a father blessing where someone says, okay, today you are a man. So when those doubts come, when you start wondering, well, I don't do this, so am I a real man? And I don't like this, am I a real man? Like that, Those are the kind of things that a lot of teenage boys wrestle with, especially if they aren't the athletic kind. Even if they are athletic, it still is this desire for a father blessing, for someone to say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and today you are a man. And what has happened in our society is we don't do that anymore. Really, in our society, you don't even have fathers in the picture or in the home. And so there isn't that male role model to show you what it means to be a man and to say, look, today you are a man. And so what the Jewish people would do is this wasn't just a, hey, son, you're a man. Okay, go get him, slugger. This was a, he would bring you in and they would have, they would like, lay their hands on on the top of your head and they would pray for you and they would pray a blessing over you that you would, it would be things like, may you never run out of grain and may your baskets overflow and may your cattle, like things that maybe don't apply to us today, but it was this idea of like, may you be successful, may everything you put your hand to be prosperous. And they would end it by saying, you're a man. Even in the community, this wasn't just something like the father did to make the son feel better, but really it had community impacts as well, because now it's, you are a legal adult now at the age of 13, 13, 14. Like today we'd be like, I don't even know if 18 year olds are adults, but like at 13 or 14, they would say you are an adult. And that had legal ramifications where they now were supposed to be a contributing member to the society and to the community that they lived in. They didn't really do voting and stuff back then, but if they had, like that's, that's the kind of rights that would bestow you now is they could be married off. They could be, they were, they were expected to go get work now and stuff. And so it was this idea of not only to satisfy this inner craving of, am I a man? And someone please tell me I'm a man. But it was also to say, now you have to start acting like a man and take responsibility like a man because your family needs it and your community needs it. And that's something we don't, we don't really have today. We have 18 year olds. I mean, I know 26 year old guys who still act like they're 12 because they've never been shown and taught like, okay, you're a man. And this is what, this is what this means. And you have responsibility now and it's time to put those kind of childish things away. Not that you can't be childlike and not that you can't have fun or play video games like that. None of that's necessarily bad, but it's like, there are other priorities And we don't see that in society because we don't participate in that kind of father blessing that they did back in, you know, back in the ancient times. Yeah. And there's definitely, even if you read history books, so many and, you know, tribal, a lot of tribes do that too. They have ceremonies where 
they honor a man or a young teenager who's now become a man. And a lot of it is they put the accountability now on that person. They put the responsibility on that person. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, as a, I would say as a white man, we don't, I don't get that as much, but with my friends who are immigrants, it's like they have kind of been raised being like, we live in a house with us, sometimes our aunts, sometimes our uncles, sometimes our cousins, sometimes your grandparents. And they're kind of taught from a young age that they have to be able to provide in the future. And so like that might not be an exact father blessing, but it's an idea of you have responsibility from a young age. You do have responsibility. And I even think that that might, you know, as people live over in the Western culture a bit longer, they might lose that as it goes down the generations. But I do think that is really interesting how important it is to be told, you know, you you said you have to be told that you are a man, you have to be told how loved you are, but also you now have this father's blessing that really is the key point and the key turning point in your life. And kind of what is your sense of, you know, going beyond kind of just the fact that there there needs to be a moment? What is your kind of experience with this yourself? I know you've kind of done some some uh, youth counseling, some youth men counseling. Kind of what's been your like your vision of this from both a catastrophic level and from like a positive level? So I've worked for the last 17 years, led a ministry at a college campus here where I live. And then I also do a lot of work over in the Czech Republic. And basically by doing all this, what I've learned is that a lot of struggles, especially that young men face, and and it's true for women too, but, you know, since we're talking men, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to men, but like a lot of issues that young men face, and this is at least at the cultural level that I've seen here in the States and over in the Czech Republic is that there isn't that blessing or there isn't that ritual or like, I know there were some tribes that like you go through some kind of test or almost like an obstacle course and like, okay, if you can do this, now you're a man, you know? And and like, we don't, we don't have that. And so what I've seen like working with young people for the last 18 years is that there's a lot of insecurities that come and there's a lot of just self-doubt, anxiety, even even in some cases, depression can be tied to this fact that like they don't feel like they're wanted, they're accepted, they don't feel like a father figure is proud of them because that that's a core of of what we need. So I've done these kind of sessions where I've talked about what it means to have a father's blessing. And the place that I did this most prominently was over in the Czech Republic. It was for a youth camp that I was a part of. Um, for four years, and I think it was my second year, they asked me to talk about this issue of fatherhood because over there, the divorce rate, I believe, is like 70 to 80%, where most families are broken. And so you have these young men that just don't know who they are because they've been raised only by their mothers. Their fathers haven't been in the picture or their father was abusive or their father was an alcoholic. So I was in this room and they had, they actually had me do the session twice that year. Um, and it's like a five day camp. So it was two of the days I did this session. And to be honest, I was kind of like, and they, I don't think they understood how many people were going to come to it because they put me in a very small room. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm maybe going to have 20. And I think that first session had close to a hundred, mostly guys. I think there was like one or two, one or two girls that were in there. But it was a bunch of guys who dealt with things like pornography, who like I would ask the question, how many of you would say you feel like a man today? And like maybe three of them out of 100 raised their hand. They're like, I don't I don't know if I'm a man. 
I don't know if that's where I'm at yet. And, you know, coming from brokenness, coming from broken homes and not understanding who they are and what, like really what their purpose was, was the, another big thing too. And so I talked a lot about this father blessing and what this was and why it's so important. And I ended that session and I gave them two challenges. One, I said, okay, if, if you do know your father, you have a decent relationship with him, you go, you talk to him and you ask him if he can do this for you because you need it. So I asked, I had them raise their hands and of the hundred, there was maybe 12. I were like, yeah, my dad's alive. I can go talk to him. We have a decent enough relationship. He would do this for me. The remaining ones, I was like, I had them raise their hand. And I was like, if you don't have someone in your life to do that, raise your hand, everyone else, like majority of the room. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this for you then so that you stop wondering. And I basically did what the Jewish people would have done. I didn't go around and put my hand on everyone's head because that's a lot of people and that would be weird. But I did kind of pray a blessing over them and tell them like, you know, I I asked that they would be successful and, and that they would understand who they are. And then I ended by saying today, whether you, whether you feel like it, whether you know it or not, like whether you struggle with it, you are a man. I'm telling you that today and you have responsibility for your life. And like, no joke, like, Czech people are not emotional. Like if you were to go do a session with a bunch of Czech people, like speak in front of an audience, I I do that a lot. And it's like, you're looking at a bunch of dead people. They just sit there. No more. Even like, I'll have people come up to me afterwards be like, Oh, that was so funny. Or that was so impactful. I'm like, really? I honestly thought you were dead. Like you didn't even blink. Like what's going on. So emotion is just not something that they do there. And I got done. And I would say half of that room was crying which I've never seen like in a session like that, because there is this need within us as, as men to be told by someone who is a man that we look up to and say, okay, you are a man. We, we have this need to be told you are like, you may not fit the mold that society says, okay, a man should be rich and in shape and have 12 pack abs and like, you know, be able to sleep around with 20 different women and like whatever, whatever society says a man should be, if you don't live up to that, even, even I've seen the guys that do still struggle with it. So I had this guy in my ministry years ago. He was the epitome of what most guys in college wish they could be. He looked like he stepped off an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. Like the dude was chiseled from stone. I'm like, give me some of that, please. <laughs> Where was I when that was being passed out? But so he was like very good looking. He was very popular on campus. He was the guy that every guy wanted to be and every girl wanted to be with. He was the guy that could like sleep with a girl, get done, the same night sleep with another girl, get done. They the girls find out about each other about it and not be mad at each other. Like because that's how that's how like attractive and suave and like just that's just who this guy was. And So I started kind of mentoring him a little bit and sitting down with him and come to find out, and this this shocked the crap out of me, he dealt with so much insecurity, didn't feel like his dad was proud of him, didn't feel like there was anything in him to be proud of, and didn't didn't understand what it really meant to be a man. And so when you look at some of the psychology behind this, a lot of guys when they don't feel like they're a man, 
when they have those insecurities of like, okay, have I reached this point? Am I a man? Am I a boy? Like what's going on? A lot of times it'll manifest in, in a few ways. One is that they will be the player type. They will sleep around. They will try to rack up like, here's my number. Because what they're trying to do is find this identity of being a man by how many women they can seduce. And so that's, that's one way that, that that happens. Some of it is in success. Like if I can just climb that corporate ladder and make all the money and have all the fancy toys, then I will feel like a man. Some of them revert to things like they get stuck in pornography or they get stuck in drug addiction because they don't feel like they can achieve it. They don't feel like they can ever be a man and live up to that status. And so they numb the pain with pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. And a lot of these issues that we see in men's lives, a lot of it boiled down to this idea that they still struggle wondering and, and looking for a father figure to say, you're a man. And I don't know if there's been a ton of research on that. I've read some on that, but it's a lot of that's even just from what I've seen talking and, and counseling some of these young men. Yeah. And that seems like a very much like a, a cycle of, of shame as well. And, and, you know, it's funny, I just read, I just finished reading this book called American Hookup, A New Culture of Sex on Campus. And it talks about a lot of those themes as well. It talks about hookup culture. It's not the fact that we as a society are hooking up more. It's the fact that there's more pressure to hook up. There's more pressure to be part of that culture. And it's kind of this groupthink thing where we come together. We think that's what you, the university experience is. We think that's what everyone craves. But in reality, it's only really a select few that have success in that area of their life in the first place. My favorite thing about this book is that it takes real people, like it's a woman with a class of, I think, 100 students, and they and she gets them to keep a journal for the, the summary of the year or, or be, uh, four years, I forget what it is exactly. But she actually has real stories and real accounts of students being like, this is how I felt. I didn't want to do it. There's real accounts of, of like sexual assault in there or women saying like, I wanted it because it was easy or, you know, I, I didn't want to go home. So he let me stay over at his place. So I let him have sex with me because I thought that was like the transaction that was required. And like when I read it, it's just like, there's a lot of depressing things in that book that I saw at university as well. Like it, it's, it's very, very true how when you're at university, you feel like you have to hook up. Like that is the thing. Everyone goes out with the intention of kind of getting laid, which kind of goes back to the point of we are seeking this approval. And I found that from a lot of men too, when I was talking with them, like they were always looking for their next kill. They were always looking for or kill in the, in the gross sense of obviously being like basically a predator, but it was always to fill this desire of, of a male status. And even drinking on campus was the same thing. I would go to parties and I wouldn't drink and I'd have guys come up to me and be like, you know, oh, you're not drinking tonight. They'd call me a pussy. And I'm like, I'm sorry that you feel like I have to drink to make me a man because I don't really feel that way. I'm sorry that you feel like you have to drink to be a man. I never really was out to to kind of be that way. I was always very comfortable with who I was, but you could just see the fragileness of some men and they were really attractive guys to me. I'm like, man, this guy is really attractive. He's of course going to get laid, but they're going to get laid because of their fighting insecurity rather than doing it because they really want to. I don't think I've ever met anyone super 
like super satisfied after a hookup. Like it's always the same thing of, oh, now we can't talk. Now there are communications broken. Now our friendship might be different. But it always came down to that seeking approval aspect, which I think you you touched on a lot there. And that sense of manhood, that sense of, you know, in the book, it also talks about how men would talk with other men about their their girlfriends like or their their girls that they slept with and be like, oh, I thought she was really pretty. But if one of the guys in the group says that she's ugly and then all of a sudden all the guys think she's ugly, then you think she's ugly, then you start to disrespect her because your status went down. It's all about social status as well. It's one of the most depressing books I've ever read, but one of the best books I've ever read too, I would say. I tried to reach out to the author to, to see if she'd come on my podcast because like that'd be a really cool experience. But I know that uh, you kind of touched briefly on, on divorce rate, but I, I really wanted to kind of go into how you got into this topic, this passion in the first place, whether it came from you know your childhood, your background, what, what kind of started that passion for counseling or helping young men and especially ministry? Yeah. So a lot of this just comes out of my own story. My parents got divorced when I was three. A lot of it was my dad was mentally unstable. He was manic depressive, which meant there were days where he was really awesome and and on top of the world. And then there were days where it was like manic depressed. It basically is what it sounds like. He gets very depressed. There were times where there was like a lot of emotional abuse. There was like, he tried to kill himself a few times and, and it just was very, very unhealthy. And he wouldn't stay on the medication that he was supposed to be on and all this. And so when I was three, my mom and my grandma kind of tricked him to go see a doctor. They claimed it was for my grandma. And the doctor was basically there to observe my dad. And basically when my mom and him left, the doctor was like, you need to get your daughter and your grandkids away because that guy, if he's not on this medication, he could snap and they could all be dead, like is, is what it was. And so my mom got divorced. And basically that was the last time I really saw my dad. He came and visited twice, I think when I was like nine and 10. And otherwise, all we ever heard from him was like a card at our birthday, a card at Christmas, like no phone calls, no nothing. And it was really something we didn't talk about growing up. We knew a little bit of like, okay, your dad just wasn't a good person and, and he had some mental issues and he didn't love your mom, he didn't love you guys, blah, blah, all this stuff. But we really didn't know. And, and you can't really explain to a five-year-old what's going on. They're not going to understand. But we never, even as we got older, it just, it was not something that was ever really brought up and never really dealt with. I really just grew up because my dad wasn't in the picture. And from my understanding and and as I started processing what had happened, I did some research in psychology and found out that like, when you have a tragedy that happens that young, your brain literally cannot process it. Like if you, if you were to process the emotions, it could cause like a three-year-old to die. Like it's, it's that difficult. And so what happens is you suppress it. And if you never bring it up and you never deal with it, it's still there. It just hasn't been processed. And that's really what was going on in my life. And so I grew up believing that like, I wasn't lovable. I wasn't wanted. I wasn't accepted. Grew up always questioning, am I a man? If you look at what most people define as a man, it's not me. I'm not athletic. I could care less about sports. I don't care about cars. I don't care about really any of that kind of stuff that you would think like video games, any of that. I, I'm just, I'm not into it. I'm more of the creative type. And so even in high school, I'd look at myself and all these guys would be playing sports. And even if they weren't athletic, they would still like throw around a football or do hacky sack or they would do something. And I'm just like, 
that's dumb. I don't like, I didn't feel like I fit in. Always questioned, am I a man? Am I a man? Am I a man? And it wasn't until I got to college that I kind of came really face to face with a lot of this junk in my life. So I had this moment where I came to faith in Christ. I was at this convention and they did this worship song where they talked about God being a father who would never leave you, never abandon you. And that's basically what my dad did. And I was like, if that's God, that I can do. But like this God that I grew up with of in the Catholic church of he's this distant God and you have to make sure you kneel at the right time and say the right things like that. I was like, I don't, I don't want any of that. And so kind of started in my faith. And when I did, it was like, that's right when all of a sudden all this junk kind of came to the surface. I was in a very unhealthy relationship with a girl at the time. And just, it was very, what we would call codependent. We weren't healthy individually. And so we were both bringing this brokenness together and trying to make it work. And it was very unhealthy. And so I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I know that I need to deal with this because I've never, I've never talked about it. And so I called up my mom was like, I need to know what happened. I, I just need to. And I was working with a counselor at the time because I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having some flashbacks and was just like, I, I don't know what to do anymore. And so the counselor was kind of like, I shared a little bit of like, this is what I grew up with. And she's like, so what, what happened? And I was like, you know, I honestly don't know. She's like, in order to heal, you kind of need to know what happened. And so I called my mom, was like, I need to know. And she sent me the transcripts from um, the divorce hearing. And so I was able to read everything that kind of, obviously it's not everything, but the bigger stuff that had happened. And it made sense to me why all of a sudden I was dealing with what I was dealing with. And what I come to find out really after that, because after I read that, then I had conversations with my mom and my grandma and what I came to find was that like my dad grew up in a house where his mother never hugged him. His dad had already passed away. So he didn't have a father figure either. And his mom was very like, she probably should not have had kids. Like, I'm glad she did because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But she was very much like, because we, we lived with her up until I, my parents got divorced. And from what my mom said, like she would, if I was playing with a toy, I had to go put it back before I could pull out another toy. And so like, imagine that, like what family do you see that the kid has to like put that toy away before they can pull out another one? It doesn't have toys all over. And so he grew up not knowing that he was loved and that he was wanted. And so I got to a point where I had to forgive him. And it came, what was finally the point that got me to help forgive him was I realized that like, as crappy as he was, he did the best with what he had because like even th there have been studies of what happens when you don't hold a child, when you don't hold a baby. And he was never held. And a lot of what he went through was because of he didn't have someone that loved him, that held him, that reassured him. So I dealt with a lot of that, just thinking, okay, my dad doesn't love me, doesn't want me. So then who could? Yeah. And what was his like ethnic background, I guess? Was he kind of East European as well? Yep. So I didn't know this until I started going to check, but, um, and did some, some genealogical research, but his dad and all the way back were Czech and his mom and all the way back were Slovak. So yeah. So, and, and 
love that part of the world, but they're not very affectionate. <laughs> and I understand, like, even more so now, I understand kind of why that was part of that process was, or like what he experienced, because they just aren't very affectionate people, you know? I think it was really interesting how you talked about, you know, your family just didn't talk about stuff. And all of a sudden, your counselor is in your life saying, you need to talk about stuff. So, you know, finding that journey, coming to that realization, what was your process like in, so I guess, first off, how old were you when you started talking to your to your mom about this stuff and then to how was that process because i think a lot of young men even myself are looking for ways to open up about ourselves to our parents and you know i've had conversations with my parents before regarding you know me and my siblings you know through this podcast i've been able to say you're allowed to be more open with me because you're i know you're listening to this podcast i know i know you listen and i'm opening up about stuff you're allowed to kind of engage with me on certain things. And it's always kind of confusing whose role is it to open up to who first for you. It sounds like you opened up to your mom first, but what was your process like making a family or starting to talk about some of those things? And how was that in your healing process? It was, it was very hard (laughs) because we grew up in that kind of household where you don't like, we would talk about stuff, but not, there were certain topics that were just taboo you didn't talk about and so it was very tough because that that issue of my dad was something that we never talked about and I know my mom never really fully dealt with it either I mean she's starting to but it's not a fun topic you know like okay mom tell me why you got divorced and what all that happened and but it was one of those things that like I knew I needed this and and ultimately I knew like the family needed it and and my brother needed it he still hasn't fully dealt with it. So basically I was still at college and and it was one of those things I'm like, I kind of need to know because I'm dealing with this now and I can't make a trip home. So I kind of called her up and was just like, Hey, so, and just shared a little bit of, you know, my family are big worry warts. So I was like, okay, I want to start this out by saying you have like, don't worry. Okay. Like, like I'm not like having a breakdown or anything, but I need to know what happened? Like I'm processing some of this. I'm I'm realizing that we've never talked about it. And for me to get over it and move on with my life, I need to process it. And so she started crying a little bit. She's like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm like, I know you don't, but we have to. <laughs> and so she started sharing a little bit and she's like, you know what? I have the transcript somewhere of the divorce hearing where I shared everything that happened. So she sent it to me. I read through it and then I called her back and talk some more about it. And it was a long process of really hearing her side and like what, what happened and then getting to know, like, which my dad was dead at the time. So I couldn't necessarily know his psychs. I didn't know him, but trying to get to like, okay, how was it for him growing up and, and coming to some of these, like, cause I had already started reading some books on psychology and masculinity and and what all this is and I realized like a lot of this does stem from a father figure or a lack of a father figure and we're a bad father figure and so just kind of asked her as much as she knew about my dad's upbringing and and really came to find out that like what I shared with you his mom was just very not not affectionate my mom's mom actually told me at one point that it was when they were still married so I was like two or three years old we were at my mom's mom's, that grandma's house. And my grandma, like I was standing between my grandma's legs and she was kissing me, whatever. And apparently my dad looked at her and said, you know, no one's ever done that for me. 
I never had that growing up. And imagine like how broken you would feel not ever having someone hug you or kiss you growing up. And so it was really kind of through that process that I learned that, like I said, he, he did the best he could with what he had. I mean, that doesn't excuse it. It doesn't, it doesn't say what you did was okay, but it helped me to have some empathy to understand it so that I could heal from it. And through that process then of, of just approaching my mom and saying, hey, we need to talk about this. Personally, I believe it should be the parent's role to do that kind of stuff. The problem is a lot of people have never dealt with their own issues. And when they get into adulthood, then they have those insecurities and they don't know how to approach it. And so I just realized like, you know, for me, it was, I could sit here and let this issue that's in my family tree kind of continue. Or I could say, you know what, I'm going to parent up and really help be a parent to my parent and help her through the issues that she's going through because no one like her parents didn't do it either. Like, cause it's, it's from that generation where you don't talk about your issues. You just bottle it up and you deal with it, you know? And, and I've heard that term before too, just parenting up where you are the child and you're parenting your parents in, in that way. And so even today, there's times where it's like, I, I almost feel like I'm trying to reach in and be like, okay, mom, tell me what's really going on. Not that I don't care about your work, but don't tell me about what's going on at work. Like, how are you doing? And don't tell me, okay, because I know that's not always the case. And maybe today it is, but I know it's not always, you know. And I've heard that term parent up as well. And I think that's almost like the role of every child is really, we do bring a lot more to the table than I think sometimes parents realize in terms of, you know, if I look at my own life as as me and my siblings, I'm the youngest of four, as we've gotten older, we've really helped our parents realize a lot of things. Like I come from a pretty Christian home, you know, some of us have chosen not to prescribe to that that faith. And so we've had to kind of work through a lot of those things. But I really liked your point there about parenting up and, and empathy for your father. And, and I don't want this question to be taken the wrong way, but do you wish you could just kind of have that time to sit with your dad and and like now and really kind of work, talk to him about some of those things and and what would you kind of say to young men who are questioning their father and and like seeking out if they say if their father wasn't in their life what would you say to those young young boys or young men who you know their father's alive but they haven't really seeked out what would you say to them so to answer the first question yes i do wish that he was still alive and that i could reach out to him and, and talk to him one, just to let him know I, I have forgiven him. Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person. Like it's getting over the bitterness and the anger that you carry. And so it would probably be more for me, <laughs> to, to be honest, to sit down with him and be like, I forgive you. But it really would be trying to, almost trying to parent up to him too. Not that I would necessarily be like, okay, you're my dad. Like, but it, it would be like, okay, I know you're broken. I know you're hurting too. And we have some issues to deal with because you weren't there and stuff. And, and more of this, I guess I didn't share this part. Before he died, he ended up getting remarried and having another kid. And we don't know if that other kid was like actually his or if it was his second wife's and he adopted him or whatever. We don't, we don't know. Somewhere I have a stepbrother out there or a third brother or a second brother. I don't know. But 
I would really like to sit down with him and just be like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, what was going on? But I think for for young men, kind of the advice I would give is is a little bit twofold. One, do it. Like, it's going to be scary and you may be rejected. Your dad may look at you and be like, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. And, and that hurts. And I think that's the main reason why a lot of people don't reach out. And it's, it's one of the main reasons I didn't reach out when I had the time, the opportunity, because I was afraid that it was just going to be ugly and I'm just going to be rejected. And, and who wants to feel that way? So I know that that's a fear and that's a legit fear. But I would say push that aside and try. But at the same point, and on the really on the the other side of that coin, I would say don't put your sense of security and your sense of acceptance in the fact of whether or not your dad is going to welcome you back. Because a lot of times what happens is you have these kids that are estranged and they go and they find their father and they expect like, okay we're going to have this moment and this is going to be great. And he's going to want to be back in my life. And sometimes he doesn't. And it's almost like going through the whole thing again. And so my advice has always been try because what will happen is if you don't try, you will, you'll end up regretting it. If he dies, if, if you lose that opportunity at some point, you're going to say, man, I wish I had that opportunity at least just to say something to him. So take that opportunity if you haven't, but also understand it may be a second rejection and don't build it up in your head as this it's going to be this monumentous moment where i'm going to all of a sudden feel better about myself because i've confronted him or we we've started repairing things that may not be the case you may have this conversation and that might be the last time you talk to him you may reach out and he says i don't know you i don't want you in my life don't call me again and understand that going in that that very that could be the the possibility but at least you did your part like you did what you could do and unfortunately sometimes it sucks and it, that's where it ends it may not even be that you stay connected it may just be you you end up having a great moment and you find you do find some healing in it and you're able to move on with your life but he's not a part of it and sometimes there's been the cases where you do come together and you end up having a healthy relationship after you've worked through some stuff. But my biggest thing is that that side of it is very rare, where it ends up being okay and you have that solid relationship afterwards. So I see a lot of young men when they start getting to that point and they want to talk to their dads and stuff where they think, oh man, this is going to be awesome when I have my dad again. And it's like, you go into it expecting that you won't. And then if you do, that's just awesome. But nine times, probably, and I don't know if this is a real statistic, but nine times out of 10, the majority of the time, that's probably not going to be the case. And so don't build it up and get hurt all over again, you know? Yeah. My mom has a saying that kind of feeds off that uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And like that kind of ties in pretty well to that overall scenario. But I also wanted to go into the religion aspect of it, because I know you talked about, you know, Judaism and, and the, the Father's blessing. How much do you think lack of religion or religion plays into this idea of divorced men? Because based off of my, or, or, you know, failed fathers, because based off of my research and, and statistics out there, being from a religion doesn't 
really enhance or increase the odds that you don't become divorced. And even if you stay married, that doesn't mean you have a happy home or a happy marriage. So how do you think religion or lack of religion plays into this this idea of hope of fatherhood? In just about every faith, hope is a main ingredient that you have this idea of hoping for something better, that what you have now is not the end all be all. It's not it's not even the biggest part of your life of like in, in Judaism and Christianity, because those are Christianity basically came out of Judaism. So they're, they're very similar. You basically have this, this idea in this mindset that this world is not the end game. Like when you die, it, it's not the end done. Life is over that, that this is a speck in a much larger story. And that, that idea of having faith, whether it is Christianity, Judaism, Islam, like whatever, Buddhism, whatever it may be, there is this grain of hope and hoping for something greater and living for something greater than yourself. And whether or not that ends up with this idea of broken homes and divorce, like, uh, let me back up and say this, just because someone says and goes to church and says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jew. I'm a Muslim, doesn't mean they actually believe it and subscribe to it. Because for some people, and, and I think maybe you would know this even better, is that if you grow up in a house that is Muslim, that is Christian, it's almost like you're expected to do that and follow in those footsteps. And if you don't, then there's the big blowout and, and all that kind of stuff. Because there's this idea that we're Christian or we're Muslim, and that's just who we are. And that that is more of a cultural identity than actually a faith. So when we're talking about, I want to clarify, because when I'm talking about faith, I'm not necessarily talking about the average family that goes to church on a Sunday, but doesn't actually live out what they say they profess. When you're looking at genuine faith, in whatever faith it is, there is this this attitude of self-sacrifice where you say, okay, not that you should be in an abusive relationship, like, like if it's abusive, get out. But there is this place of, okay, we don't love each other. We don't feel love anymore. We don't, you know, you don't meet my needs anymore. All those kind of reasons for divorce. In the Muslim faith and the Christian faith and the Jewish faith, there is this idea of we're going to work on it and make it better instead of done. You know, and, and I think in that case is where you see that a lot of Christians and a lot of people of faith, whatever faith it may be, tend to not have broken homes when it is they're actually following their faith and not just what I call priesters, Christmas and Easter Christians, you know. And 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 there's there's that for Muslims too and, and Buddhists where it's like, okay, I, I'm calling myself this because this is what I grew up with, but my life doesn't align with it. And so, but like, and the reason I say that is in my travels over to Central Europe, the Czech and Slovak area, the Czech Republic is since 2007 has been one of the most atheistic countries in the world for every faith. Like they are a people, the culture itself has no faith. Even if you don't believe in God, here in America, a lot of times someone sneezes and you say, bless you, which is a, a shorter way of saying, God bless you. Like they don't even have that mindset 
in their culture. Like you walk down the streets and you see these beautiful cathedrals that are hundreds of years old. You see all these statues everywhere, all these like religious statues of apostles and all saints and all this stuff. But there is no faith in very little faith in that country. I think the statistic the last time I checked was like 19% of the population calls himself some kind of subscriber to a faith. And that could be anything from like the most professed faith in Czech is Jedi. A made up faith based on a movie is the most professed faith in that country. And so, I mean, that just shows like, you don't even have like, islam or buddha like it's or christian or jew it's it's very little faith and what you see in that country is in the ages between 14 and 24 the suicide rate is one in five that one in five young people will kill themselves by the time they hit 24 that is that's ridiculous that's like you get five friends together one of you is going to commit suicide that's that's nuts and the reason why like so as i've been going there i've been asking like okay you got to tell me about your culture and what's going on and like and like why is this and the biggest thing is there's just and this is from their words the people the czech people i've talked to we are a culture without hope and not even hope in something bigger whether it is a faith but even just hope that circumstances could get better that if you that if you are born into like a low income family, there is like no hope that you're ever going to get out of it. Like here in America, even if you come from a poor family, like a lot of people still just like, well, this is who I am. I'm not going to grow. But we, we have those stories of people who grew up like rags to riches. Like they grew up with nothing and now they own these big companies and they've made something of themselves. Like there isn't even that hope in that country because in a lot of cases, hope the hope for something better comes from a faith basis, whatever that faith may be. And when that faith is lacking is where you see things like a lack of hope, or you see a rise of suicide, where you see a rise of like, I think it's 33% of young people are addicted to drugs and alcohol. 33% of their young people are, are addicted, not just, oh, we do it, but like, going through programs to get clean addicted because there just is, there's just no hope. And when you have no hope, you try to numb the pain any way you can. There was another statistic too on teen pregnancy, and I forget the number now, but it was like astronomically high, like one of the highest in all of Europe of these young girls that are getting pregnant at like, you know, 16, 17 years old. Cause they're like the legal age is, is 17, 17 or, or 16 or something. So just an astronomical number because you have these girls that don't feel hope. And so they're sleeping around trying to find a guy who will love them because they don't have hope that they're loved. And whether, whether you ascribe to faith or not, it's, it's more of when a culture has faith. And so whether you individually have the faith or not, when a culture is, okay, we are a Muslim culture, we are a Christian culture, we are a Buddhist culture, whatever that may be, there's enough. It's almost like because other people have hope, have faith, they have hope, and that hope kind of rubs off into society to like give you examples of, hey, 
life can get better. You can go from here to here. You can be happy. You can experience this. But when there is no hope on the cultural level and there is no examples of that, that's when you start seeing the hopelessness and you start seeing increased depression, increased suicide and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I've read uh, the book by Mark Manson, Everything is Fucked. And it basically talks about the lack of hope, even in America, where, you know, technically quality of life is getting better, but so many things and like, you know, life expectancy gets better, quality of life gets better, overall, like life is getting better, but there's still this weird sense of hopelessness that people feel. And I think, you know, I read one of the sections of a book that will stand out to me for the the rest of my life is Sapiens by Yuval Noah uh, Harari. It's the same guy. I think I talked about it in another uh, episode where he wrote Homo Deus. But this, there's a chapter in this book, and it, and it's fascinating because it talks about like the the history of of humankind and the story. There, there's a chapter on storytelling and how story, like the the reason that humans as a whole are able to thrive is because we are the only mammal that we know of that can create fictions, create ideas, create false beliefs. And so he talks about, uh, he's an atheist. So he talks about how religion is, is one of those false, false hopes that we talk about, but we've created this idea of the Bible, Christianity, you know, Judaism, like all these different religions. And we, we have a society that buys into these things. So as a, as a human, we have a conscious. And so as a, on a human level, we can all buy into that consciousness as Christians, you can all relate to Christians because you buy into the story of Christianity as, you know, Buddhist, you can buy into the story of Buddhism, but as we get more atheists, like there seems to be a lot less buying into of science. Like we we all agree in science, we agree with science, but science doesn't really give us hope all the time. It's it kind of can kind of seem a very negative, disastrous thing where climate change is ending. You know, the global heat's going or climate change and and global heats are rising. The world's coming to an end. We now have the coronavirus right now. We didn't even have that the last time I, we spoke. I don't even think. I don't think that was a thing. And so it's interesting how. We as a society now lose that hope because we, like, as you said, we, we don't buy into anything as a culture, at least in America, you know, there's the American dream, there's politics, there's all these rules and systems that technically don't, and even money, money doesn't exist. Money has only as value because of the story that we put behind it. And, you know, I think all that was really interesting. And I, so, you know, before we go into the last three questions, I was actually kind of, you know, I wrote down while we were recording to do, I was really interested in having you actually do a father's blessing, like live on this show to see, you know, I don't know if there's any guys that are listening to this that don't, or maybe struggling with that idea of if they're a man, but if they made it this far, I'd, I'd love for you to kind of take us through what that would look like. And, and if they're listening, maybe kind of hear your father's blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> kind of, kind of, kind of a throw off, but yeah. it's something I've, I had a friend who was on once and he's like, yeah, I, I write poems. So I'm like, okay. Like, throw me a poem after. And, and I had another friend who his episode comes out uh, next week and he's a musician in Toronto. And I'm like, give me a, give me a song. I'll use it for the intro. I'll start using it for all my intros and outros. And like, you know, I'll start promoting that. So I'd really love to kind of let you take on that uh, bigger role here with, with doing a uh, father's blessing before we get into the last three questions. Uh, I was going to see if I could find, there's a, there's actually a verse in the Bible I use to do it, but I can't, of course, my brain went blank, but that's okay. We can do it this way. So basically, a lot of it is it is a little bit of a prayer, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. But well, I guess maybe I can do it this way. So really, when I've done the Father Blessing before, it is a I'll say something like this: like you know, my hope for you is that you will be wildly successful 
that you will understand who you are, that you will know in the, the core of who you are, what you were created for, that you would be a man that is responsible, that you would be a man who is loving, that you would be a man who, no matter what you put your hands to, you see success whether that is a job, whether that is a hobby, a passion, a business, whatever it is you put your hand at, it would be wildly successful, that you would be smart with your money, that you would be a man who is able to give instead of take, a man who's able to bless others, a man who's able to impact others more than you need to take, that you would be the type of man that when you do pass on, that there are lines of people who feel the impact of your loss, that you would have such an impact in the world that multiple people would look at you and say, my life is better because of you. And so that is my, that is my blessing. That is my, what I pray for you. That is my hope for you. And with that, I want to tell you that today, no matter how you feel, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what the voices in your head tell you, you are a man. And it is time for you to step into that responsibility, to put others first, to put the welfare of the people that you love and that you care about first, and to do all you can to contribute in a positive way to this society. This is what it means to be a man. And today, that is who you are. So step into that role. When you hear those voices that, that make you question, am I a man? Am, is this who I am? I don't do this. I don't have this. I pray that you would tell those voices to shut up because that's all they are, are voices in your head. Tell them to shut up because today, if, if no one else has said it to you today, you are a man and embrace that and know that in the core of who you are today, you are a man. Man, that's beautiful. I, I had some shivers up and down my body when, when you said that. So I, I love doing that when I hear that someone is passionate about something and has something unique to share. It's always kind of throw them for a loop, but I'm like, this adds so much character to, I feel like your story. And now I can take that, make it into a clip and, you know, be like, this was my chat with Jason and this is his father's blessing to any guy that needs to hear this. Here you go. Like, that's kind of what it's for. And I can use this now for, you know, the future. If I've had so many interactions with young men in my life and they're like, Luke, what's the first episode I should listen to? And I say, what's something that you're struggling with right now? And I can immediately point them to two or three episodes and I'll like, I'll share this link with you. Listen to this. This is a really like fantastic, exactly what you're talking about. And if it's not something that, that I haven't recorded, then I'm like, okay, this is an idea for an episode that I need to record. And everything is just market research. Basically. I, I didn't want to throw you off too much, but I, I really thank you for, for doing that. But now obviously I'm going to go into my last three questions that I typically do. Um, so question one, what is the one piece of advice that your father or an important male figure gave you that you live by every day? So back in 2009, I was kind of going through this weird phase in life where I thought my life was going in one direction and then it went in another and I didn't know what I was doing and kind of felt lost in that regard. And there was a guy that I knew, uh, he was a little bit of a mentor to me for about a year, year and a half. And so I called him up and was talking to him about it. And I am the like planner visionary guy. So I'm like, well, it should have been this way and this way. And he's like, Jason, shut up a minute. And this is what he said to me. And this is something that I repeat all the time. It's something I try to live by. It's, he said this, who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing or where you're going. And I think for a lot of us, especially as guys, we want to focus on the, what am I doing? Where am I going? Because 
that's status. That's what we want. And he's like, listen, it's, it's all about who you're becoming. Yeah. Oh, I think that's beautiful. I remember I wrote that down in my notebook from the last time you said it. And I was like, I think this is one of the last questions. So I'm not going to bring it up yet because I think this is the answer to one of his last questions. So I don't want to spoil it. Question two, what is one piece of advice that you wish your father or an important male figure gave you? It would probably be kind of this idea of the father blessing of telling me like, you are a man. And then also saying like, it doesn't matter what other people think of you because <laughs> I dealt very heavily with this idea of trying to find acceptance any way I could. And so even in that, I would like change who I was to fit into a certain group. And so I lost myself for a while. Like there was a season in my life. If you would have asked me something as simple as like, what's your favorite color, depending on who you were, I had a different answer, you know? And so, so it really having someone tell me like, look, like teenage years, high school sucks for everyone. Like get through it. Stop trying to fit in where you're, you were never meant to fit in and just be yourself. Perfect. And then the last question is what is one piece of advice you want to pass down to future generations uh, or kids? I mean, the, not to use the same, the same answers, but it really would be kind of what I answered the other two of who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing or where you're going. Cause that really is working on on the inside and then radically be yourself. Like there are always going to be people who don't like you, who don't want you, who don't accept you. Like don't change who you are to try to get those people to like you because eventually you are going to find the people that like you are meant to be with and you'll go through a lot less crap. If you just be, you'll be a lot happier if you just embrace who you are weirdness and all no matter what that looks like embrace who you are and love like really just love who you are like get to that point where you say you know what i don't have the eight pack abs i don't have like you know the long flowing hair i don't have like whatever it is that girls deal with and guys deal with like don't worry about that love who you are because ultimately if you can love yourself then you can feel loved by other people yeah and I think that's so true. And I think you've done a great job of passing that message down. And and one of the things I've tried to come to terms with in my own life is that process of self-love. And I think I'm on a really good trajectory of it. I've started to say this this quote, if you don't love yourself, nobody else will. And it's not to say like I've I've had people be like, that's a people will of course people will love you. It's like people will love you, of course, but it's you won't understand the value of their love without loving yourself first. You have to be able to accept yourself to accept their love at its full capacity. So now when when people are like, Luke, you're so annoying, or like they make fun of me for being a dumbass, I'm like, Yeah, I am a dumbass. Like that's part of who I am, that's part of my character. I'm fine with it. But now, you know, Jason, as we close off, I want you to share kind of what you got going on in your life. Where can people find you? What do you do? How can uh, how can I be of service in that way, promoting you? Yeah. So basically, I have started my own marketing business kind of on the side, trying to grow it. It's called Shift Marketing. Just the word shift without an I, because that's super cool. <laughs> You're trying to do right now. <laughs> Leave a letter out and, oh, look at how trendy. But yeah, so I do a lot of uh, marketing content on LinkedIn and have a website that'll be launching probably within a month. I got to buckle down and finish it. But so I help a lot of businesses and like individuals come up with basically, I'll say it this way. It is a lot of helping businesses and individuals understand who they are and why they're important, which is a lot of even just what we talked about today 
that is my passion. Like whether it's in marketing, whether it is like doing ministry here in the States or, or over in Europe, it is all about helping people understand their identity and their calling. And so you can follow me on LinkedIn, Jason Vanna, Jason.Vanna, I think it is. I'm on Twitter at Jason Vanna. I'm on Instagram at Jason Paul Vanna. I'm on TikTok where I do very cringy, trendy videos that are very bad and make fun of myself. It is glorious. All my friends, like one friend found it and now all of them are like, oh, we're no. going to subscribe. And every time I see them, they're like, hey, Jason, what about this video? It's like, oh, is gosh, your dog at least in those videos? He's in some of them, yes. <laughs> That's that will be enough. Um, he's more so on on Instagram, but you can follow me there. But yeah, I'm building building the business to give me kind of some of that freedom to do some more of this mentoring and and helping young people understand their identity and their calling, and and really have the freedom to to do that when I need to do that. And so, yeah, those would be the places to follow me. That's kind of what's going on in my life right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. That was the one question I forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, and I just want all the listeners to know that uh, when we first connected, I told Jason to be prepared because I, I said normally it ranges from 45 to 75 minutes. And after our first conversation, we're like, we could easily go 75 minutes. It is 75 minutes on the dot currently before yeah. editing. So it might go down to that. It might cut down from, from 75 minutes to, to less, but this is right on the dot of what we thought it was going to be. So Boom. way to go, Jason, with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone, thank you yes. for uh, listening. Jason, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, I, I really hope uh, I can have you back someday because I don't even think we got to a lot of the stuff that uh, well, we got to most of it. We got to most of it. That's on my list here. But yeah, I think you have a lot of wisdom and a lot of experiences. And I think you're still on that journey of forgiveness and just keep doing what you're doing. Keep giving that father's blessing. I think it's super impactful and uh, very, very thankful that you were on this episode. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This was this was awesome. And I really love like. Um, even in our conversation before all this, I just love like your heart to help young men in this journey as well, because it is something that's missing. And so, you know, you being a voice into this generation and kind of helping to raise up men this way, like I fully believe there's going to be a day when you're on this side of the podcast and you're the one that's like, you're the one doling out the advice and they're like, oh my gosh, boom. Yeah. Like I didn't even <laughs> think of that. Like, so yeah, keep it up. Like, I know sometimes with podcasts, like if you don't have a big, and I, and I don't know how many listeners you have, but sometimes it can be like a lot of work for little impact. But, you know, even if it just impacts one person, it's, it's worth it. And so know that you're making a big impact. And yeah, it was awesome chatting with you and being on the podcast. And I can't wait for it to be live. Thank you, man. So awesome. thank you. That, those words mean so much to me. You don't even know. Thank you everyone for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Jason. You can find him on LinkedIn at Jason Vanna, and hopefully I will be able to link his website in the bio as well. You know, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned, and let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. Also, thank you to my editor, Matt McClelland, for all his hard work on editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible without him. He's made so many, so much of my life easier and uh, props to him. And I'll continue to talk to you all soon.